What's up, everybody? My name is Brazil, and welcome to my podcast. This one has a really fun energy because it is with comedian Eric Schwartz. Now, if you guys know me, you know I'm a big fan of the comedy world, and I'm also a big fan of hip-hop music, and this guy shares my passion for both. He is a deep hip-hop head and really into comedy as well. Obviously, he's a comedian. He's got his own special coming out soon. I've seen it at the Comedy Store, a bunch of other awesome places. And I just love the energy exchange that we have. We really went deep into our passion for the art, our passion for, for self-help, our passion for energy, how to command a crowd, the art of speaking, how to really take the energy you have, take the fun that you have, and share it with the crowd, like an MC does for hip hop, like a comedian does in what they do. I think this is a nice hybrid of those two passions. So if you're into that kind of stuff, you're gonna love this podcast. So enjoy my interview with Eric Schwartz. What's up? What's e up? E Eric Schwartz? Yeah, you got, you got that off my social media handle, <laughs> Eric Schwartz? Because Eric Schwartz was taken, so I had to add a couple of stutters at the beginning like a scratch is the other person with eric schwartz are they even like a real account or is it just like some random it's been a while since i looked it up but it's one of those where the guy's not even using it and he's just like it's like come on man don't squat on my name right <laughs> yeah it's probably probably not even an eric schwartz there's he, like a whole industry of that of squatting on names oh, for social really? media handles and for websites like people just buy up keywords and then sell them later i think for a for somebody's name it's. I thought it was illegal to do that. Like if if you're like um, like Tom Cruise or something, if somebody had his thing, then he might be able to like legally lay claim to it. Right, because maybe he's made it into a brand or a trademark or something. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty popular. That guy. What do you want your name to represent? Oh, um, well, I have a logo <laughs> that I made, so I guess that would be what it was representing. But my representation in the logo, I have a lightning bolt that goes through it. Okay. And um, to me, it's like positive energy. I want to bring energy. When I'm performing, you definitely you see the energy. But uh, I put the positive energy. And sometimes like, I love lightning bolts because sometimes I'll even wear like a Chargers hat. <laughs> and people like attack me for wearing the Chargers hat. Oh, Chargers suck. And I'm like, dude, I don't know anything about the team. Uh, I'll take your word for it. They go, well, why do you wear the hat? I'm like, dude, I like lightning bolts. Like, yes. my, my favorite player on the team is the graphic designer. <laughs> well, life is about energy, right? And the energy we bring to things. True. I love that comedy is an entire industry focused on bringing the energy of happiness. Yeah. Like, and that's there, the product. And the thing is, there's a whole spectrum of it how to bring the happiness. There's a there's a people that are very dark with how they're gonna switch the darkness to happiness. And there's people that are light and silly and and positive um, on stage that also bring happiness. So there's many ways to bring it. And, and not, I don't think either way is right or wrong. It's just depends on the person. Now you mentioned earlier, do you, you don't smoke, right? No, but I don't smoke, you know, cause there was a lighter here. Yeah, and um, and I was like, oh, people are gonna think that I that I toke up, <laughs> and uh, no, I actually do a thing about that in my show that I, I I don't know what it is like. I think that the Dare program just worked on me, like I never got into it, like I never I never did weed, and you could tell that I don't do weed because no one who does it says they do weed. I know that it's, <laughs> it's take it's take pot. I know that, uh, but no, a lot of my friends do. I know some people that are very close to me that work in the industry. So I, I am a proponent of it. I just have never done it. I used to DJ in Jamaica. No shit. And I never tried it. I think I got hot box though. 
Because I was in the DJ booth and people were smoking in the, this guy brought a joint, I'm not even kidding, like the size of a double um, cigar. Right, like, like those thick yeah, ones. Like a dill, like almost like a, a huge dill pickle. <laughs> and this guy was like, he looked like he had a broken limb wrapped in gauze, but it was weed. And he was smoking it. I'm like, dude, that's the biggest joint I've ever seen. Now you DJ as well? I used to, yeah. That's how I started. Okay. I, was, I spent my bar mitzvah money on DJ equipment. <laughs> no shit. What made you want to do that? Uh, you know, I was into hip hop from a, a young age. In Los Angeles here, there was a radio station called K-Day, which is now a, a newer station on FM. But back in the day, it was AM radio, 1580 AM. And where I lived in Thousand Oaks, which is just on the outskirts of, of Los Angeles, it would come in like at night and when there was rain clouds because that's how AM amplitude modulation works and it can travel further. So my brother and I loved hip hop and this was kind of like at the emergence of hip hop. Um, and we, we loved, we loved that and we became break dancers like in our oh, neighborhood. Shit. Yeah. What were some of the first hip hop acts that you liked? We were really into like Run DMC Actually, before, well, I, when Run DMC was like really first getting started, there was like breakdance music where you didn't even really know the artists, but stuff like Planet Rock, Africa Bambata, um, Soul Sonic. But you, you seem like you're my age. That was yeah. Oh, dude, I I stopped aging when I was 32. No, I, <laughs> how old are you? 33, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, so oh, yeah. I stopped, that's it. when yeah, I stopped aging. Yeah. yeah, I'm a little older than you. Wow. Um, but yeah, so. Because so, I, I thought I listened to old school hip hop because I like Jay Z and like his stuff from oh, the 90s. I like Reasonable Doubt. That's uh, like old school for me. You're talking oh, <laughs> African Bumbada. <laughs> yeah, we like well, we liked all that stuff. We break dance. That's how I lost my hair. Head spinning. No, I was kidding. <laughs> uh, but no, but uh, and then and then like what we really got into like was like um, when hip hop kind of exploded. The first explosion, like right on the beginning of what's called the golden era. Golden Age hip hop. What would you so consider like, Golden Age? Eighty eight to ninety four, I guess, is really is mm. what is considered Golden Era. We're golden talking age. like Digital Underground. And yeah, Digital Underground, Tribe Called Quest. But before that was like Salt and Peppa, Run DMC was you know even before that. But but like um, Kid and Play. So it became like pop. Yeah, that's not really. I don't know if you would consider that poppy stuff. Like, but it was pop then. It was pop then. Yeah, it became. Yeah. It was the. It was when when hip hop crossed over to the mainstream. It was, it was a cool phenomenon, because, it it, it was like we never thought of it as like oh look at look at those pop artists. We were like oh we made it. Our music made it, and you saw from the perspective of like California. Yeah. Right mm -hmm. now, all these acts that you're talking about aren't they New York artists or mostly yeah, well, like most run of the and... most of the hip hop was coming out of New York at that time. But uh, was it was it like playing heavy here? Like how did it make its way to a young Jewish kid? Yeah, exactly. So um, I this is how you know the K Day was a station in L A. Okay. and that's where we started hearing it. But then the way I got into DJing was I you know I was always into hip hop culture and they have they had DJs right in, yeah. in in hip hop. So we were like, oh, DJs are cool. Like DJ Jazzy Jeff yeah. was, that was the beginning of the golden era. They had an album before um, the Parents Just Don't Understand album called He's Just DJ, I'm the Rapper called Rock the House, which a lot of people discovered after that album because that was their first album. But that, DJ Jazzy Jeff, we love Jazzy Jeff. And we we're like, oh, I want to DJ one day, my brother and I. And so my dad had a clothing business. It was a, like a store on wheels. 
okay. clothing truck that he would go around to office buildings. This is like the most no Jewish shit. thing ever. Instead it's of an like, ice cream truck, he had a t-shirt, yeah. like a screen printing truck no, it or was something? like ladies' or? clothing. No. It was like office wear. So he'd go around to like real estate offices. And <laughs> this was before like Dross, Ross Dress for Less was like a huge thing in, the, in every town. Yeah. But he was offering like discount office wear to to women and they'd come out in their lunch break or their coffee break. They'd shop, go try it on in their office and then they'd buy from him. And so to um, sell some of the stuff he couldn't sell during the week, he would go to the what's called the swap meet. Do you know the swap meet? Is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we would go to the swap meet called the Rhodium, which is here in, in LA in Gardena. And um, we would sell uh, clothing there. And right near our stand was a place called Rhodium Records. They would blast this music, hip hop, all day. And they were playing from this mixtape. Like they were, they were selling records tapes and uh, their, their own, they had their own mixtapes that were created by a guy named Tony A and Dr. Dre. And we're talking about mixtapes, cassettes. Cassettes, yes. Yeah. So, but the second name I said. Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre. That the Dr. Dre. You're, so, talk, you're talking about mixtapes of Dr. Dre before he was yes. Dr. Dre. You yep. know, as in like early days DJ Dr. Dre. Yep. Wow. And that is where Rhodium and Tony A and he kind of collaborated on a lot of stuff too. Tony A is a, a legend. Uh, and he would break NWA music, I believe, through those mixtapes. So that's kind of how it became. And I would get my records from... I started buying records from Rhodium Records. They would kind wow. of advise me on like, oh, this is the new thing. So then I'd bring it back to Thousand Oaks, which is the suburbs. <laughs> and this like Jewish kid was like the the first like DJ tastemaker of the town or something, you know? So um, so first you were like a consumer of the culture and yes. you were the one just telling your friends about it. Like, yo, here's the newest music. Yeah. And then how did it transfer to you actually spinning? Actually doing it. Uh, actually spinning. So I we like I said, around my bar mitzvah time, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to have some money. I want to buy these turntables because I've always wanted to DJ listening to hip hop. I'm like, okay, that's the culture, right? You yeah, dance, yeah. you rap, you beatbox. I was a beatboxer from early on because I listened to the Fat Boys and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. I, my, my glasses would get all the kind of <laughs> spit on them because I was beatboxing, right? And, um, and so, uh, yeah, so we started DJing. I spent the money from my bar mitzvah and I started DJing and trying to get gigs, right? So my friend would be having a party and I'd be like, oh, let me DJ your party. Or like somebody's sister was having their sweet 16. Um, we had a teen center in town. And this was, this was my first failure, huge failure as a DJ, but also my biggest success. So what happened is I, we, de we, we talked ourselves into like, or we talked the, the, the people who hired at the teen center into giving us a chance at DJing a dance. And this is like in a huge, huge, like basketball gym. And we didn't have the equipment for it. Like right. we had like two little speakers <laughs> and like these, what are called belt drive turntables, which are not sturdy and they'll skip if they get vibrated enough. And then we had like just homemade amplifier, which is like a stereo receiver that you're not supposed to use for big applications. So, Needless to say, about 15 minutes in the show, our music turns off because we're trying to pump it too hard <laughs> in this huge space. They call the DJ that they normally book, who's this guy, Scott Panestri, and he had his business called Audio Fetish, right? He comes down, he sets up all his amazing gear. Right. It's like top-notch stuff. 
And he goes, all right, go ahead and DJ. I'm like, what? You're not going to, you're going to, this guy was the nicest guy. And he let Instead me. Instead of him taking your spot, he yeah, brought you the gear. He brought me the gear and let me DJ <clears throat> the gig. Wow. And we, that was the biggest success because he became like my mentor. And so I eventually took over his business. He, he taught me like how to do things. He got, he got me like he let me use equipment when I needed it. And yeah, I mean, what a blessing! It was such a it was such a cool thing. We 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 are friends to this day. How old were you when you met him? I was probably fourteen, fifteen. And at this point, did yeah. your parents think it was just a phase, and at some point you were going to get a real job? Probably. What was the plan at that point? Yeah, they probably thought it was a phase, but they were really supportive. I mean, they they let me when he when Scott was um, going away to college, he wanted somebody to take over his business, and he asked me to do it. So my parents agreed to let him let us put all of his gear, which was like, I mean, like this is like a, a warehouse worth of gear in our garage. Wow. We had to get a security system. We had to like sign a contract with him that I'd pay him every month for the rental. And he would like let me have all the business that he already had. And so, yeah, my parents like, I, I'm real lucky. Like most entertainers don't have, Supportive parents, a lot of them don't, and I've had like the most supportive parents. Wow. Yeah. Did you then end up going to college? Yeah, I went to college, um, same college as Scott actually. <laughs> so we were kind of there at the same time because he took he he was an engineer and I was a journalism major, and engineering takes way longer than journalism. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, we we went to the same the same college, and I, I I was still DJing through there, and then as I got rid of the equipment, but I was still DJing. And I got to, um, you know, DJ for other companies. I started getting hired for like entertainment industry parties. I would do um, like where we are right now yeah. is like right around the studios where I, I used to DJ the WB, um, DreamWorks. I used to DJ for them. I DJed at some. I, I I had to sign NDAs for some of the people's houses that I. That's spun amazing. For, but one of the houses or one of the parties that I did was at the time like every A list celebrity was was there. And it was, it was unreal. So this is all while you're going to school to be a journalist. What happened uh, with that? Yeah. So um, I had ethics, and uh, I, I was like, I had the ethics class. I'm like, yeah, I can't do this. I can't. <laughs> well, what's an ethics class? Ethics meaning like that you ethically like to tell the stories that you that you you're supposed to tell just the facts. You're supposed to um, be objective. You're not supposed to insert any opinion. Which nowadays like everyone does right and it's impossible to not inject some kind of um you know opinion into your reporting so and and also like i started doing comedy in college so it kind of all blended together as i was djing i was watching saturday night live i was just really into entertainment i loved stand up i would recite uh comedians uh routines to my friends on the in the swim team and they were like, dude, you should be a comedian. And so I- So I, you were already used to kind of playing with that energy. And I'm sure yeah. as a DJ, you were on the mic, right? You were hyping mm -hmm. up the crowd. So you, were, you liked that feeling. Exactly. So I was able to like get on the mic and, you know, we would play the same songs over and over and over. And so I started making up new words to them. And that <laughs> kind of got me into what early in my comedy career, I, would, I was known for doing parodies. So that came from that for sure. Um, so- just like we were entertaining, not only like entertainment industry parties, but I would have to do things where like 
bar mitzvahs and weddings. Right. Where you got to get people like, you got to get people going. And that goes back to energy. Right. What you said earlier. Right. Yeah. You got to pull them. So yeah, when I'm doing standup, a lot of times I'm borrowing from a lot of that stuff I used to do when I was DJing, where I look at the crowd as like, okay, I got to rock this crowd. Um, what song am I going to play? It's almost like, what bit am I going to do? Yeah. What am I going to follow it up with that's going to make sense? Because you have like your known bangers. You have the ones that are right. like, oh, this one's a little iffy. You have the experimental ones, right? It's yeah. kind of the same process as a DJ. I'm sure exactly. as a DJ, you had your go-to songs. like. Yeah, for yeah. me, it is. I don't know about for other comedians. For me, it's like I'm playing a set. I'm playing a DJ set, but it's with my words and ideas. And, and I actually do do music, so it's very <laughs> similar. You know, I just do musical comedy. It's interesting, though, that the process of making an album in music is so different than in comedy. Because in comedy, you tour it first, and mm-hmm. you make the album last via the special. That's in true. In music, you make, the special, you make the album first, and then you tour it. It doesn't change. That's so true. Very, very, I can't, like, maybe Kanye recently with his Donda albums, where he was releasing, like, a rough draft and then making it better every other week. Yeah. But mostly, it goes the opposite way. I would encourage musicians to do it like comedians then, because you learn so much about your song by getting the feedback from the audience. Yeah. Like I've had songs that I like, I'll go do and like the first version of it is way different from the version I do now. Well, absolutely. And, yeah. I, and I can imagine too, because you can't control who's in the crowd. You can choose even which club you go to, but ultimately they're not, even if it's a predominantly this kind of person club, Yeah. anybody could walk into a club, right? So I think when you go out and you throw out your sets and your new bits, you're, you're really testing them. You're really running them through field study. For right? sure. So by the time you take it to a big stage, you know. Yeah. You've done it to a conservative audience. You've done it to a liberal audience. You've done it to this, to that. You're like, okay, you, you know the sweet spot, right? That's definitely the luxury, I think, of comedy is that we can go up many times a week for whatever length of time, test, work, work on whatever we want to work on, and then hopefully improve it. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's definitely like you're always in that like R&D stage, research and development stage. Yes. And then the special is like, let it all go and like have fun. And and that's what I'm working on now. I'm doing my my second special. You're filming in August, right? Filming in August, yeah. At the Avalon? Avalon in Hollywood. Dude, that's a nice venue. Yeah, it's 13 LED screens. And that's the reason I'm doing it there because this is a multimedia show where now... I've started doing visuals with the music. So you'll say something, you mean with your, your comedy? Yeah. So I do, it's like a combination of stand up, a concert, and now kind of like EDM with the, <laughs> the visuals. <laughs> so it's like visuals that will support what I'm, what I'm saying in, in the song. And I also am doing just straight up stand up with visuals. So like like visual aids like cut to mm-hmm. a meme or kind of yeah like I do a whole bit on fonts yeah so it's real helpful <laughs> to see the fonts that I'm talking about did you ever see that uh that SNL skit about uh, papyrus yes yes <laughs> yes and I started doing my bit before that so Lauren if you're watching I didn't bite your style okay uh, but yes but if you like that bit then you will definitely like the bit that I'm doing oh I can't fonts. wait yeah 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 now how do you practice something like that because most of the clubs like Laugh Factory, Comedy Store, they don't have any screens. Right. So is this going to be your first run? Uh, no, no. I've done it many times. So um, yes, when I'm doing like a set around town in LA, it's a lot harder to do it. But there are many venues like, you know, on the road and especially when I'm headlining, I'm doing like a longer set, 60 minutes. And a lot of them have um, 
video screens. A lot of the new um, improvs out of LA have uh, LED video walls. Got it. Which is like, I'm like, that's my, I love those LED walls. Me too. I used yeah. to make visuals for artists. So I oh, love really? that. And I love like, you know, because there's some of the LED walls that have the pixels closer together. So you yeah. can put more detailed stuff. Some are further apart. So it's more about putting a vibe. Like, right. it's nice. The right kind of visual on LED wall can... Yeah. Can really change the vibe of a set. That's literally what I'm working on right now. And it's like, you know, the pain of like, the pain and struggle of uh, this is overwhelming, you know? Like, I haven't done this before. It's like, you hate it in the moment, <laughs> but when you're done with it, you're like, yes, Dude. I did it. I grew. You know what I mean? What day is the show? Is it on the 21st of August? Yeah, August 21st, yeah. I know, Dude, we got to set tickets aside for that. I would, I would love to come check it out, man. Sure. Because I, I, I love seeing things like that. I love comedy in general, yeah. but especially multimedia things. Because like, it adds another layer to it, right? Like not many comedians use multimedia stuff. Like Kevin Hart, maybe? Who else? Um, I've, well, like Dimitri Martin has done some stuff. Um, Bo Burnham did some stuff, not, I mean, like, projection stuff on his Inside special, which but, is yeah, but, but that's genius. that's a whole other masterpiece. That's a, it's a, that's a different thing that I'm doing, but um, Do you, he's, he's awesome. Would um, you consider then what you're amazing. doing, not to cut you off on the boat thing, because yeah. he is, I think he, yeah, that, he's that special great. wasn't... I used to always say you can't make a, a hit video special by yourself in a room the way you can make a hit album in a room, but he yeah. kind of proved that wrong. He's just, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I used it, to be like, no, you need a budget to do a movie on Netflix, you know, but yeah. an album you could just do in your closet. It's like, no, it turns out you could do a video special too. Yeah. But do you think that the multimedia comedy that you're doing would be considered a different genre than, quote, regular stand-up? Yeah, but, I mean, so is, you know... um, so is uh, dark comedy, and so is um, mm. physical comedy. And I kind of feel like, okay, we have all this stuff at our disposal. Why not use it? You know, like that's kind of where I was. And then who knows, maybe my next special will be just me and a mic. Right. You know, but I've seen people do things on specials that they wouldn't maybe normally do in a club. Like Neil Brennan had one called the Three, Three Mics, Mics. Yeah. which is awesome. And you could, you wouldn't necessarily do this more like a it's kind of like a presentation like a one man show type of deal, so I, I kind of think um, that yeah there definitely will be people that watch my special and they go oh this isn't stand up, um, and I'm already I already know that I already right. know but um, but you can't please everybody so you no, might as well just do your thing. The thing is, as long as you're doing what's true to you, that's all you can do, and yes. so. If there's criticism, it's like, okay, cool. So you want me to do something that I'm not, I'm, that, that you do? You would rather me do, ha do it how you do it. <laughs> it's like, it's almost like, it's almost, what it is ultimately is a reflection on themselves. I didn't come up with this. Everyone tells me that it's a reflection on themselves of yeah. like, they can't do what you're doing. Um, and so they're like mad at it because mm -hmm. they don't, they can't do it. But look, I, hey, I'm mad at I'm mad at them too because I can't do um, <laughs> certain things that that other comedians do, and right. so I think I think um, like the one that gets the most the most hate is Carrot Top, and he does stand up. Yeah, he does stand up. Oh, I haven't seen it. It's it's um, prop comedy. Oh, and so because he uses props, people people hate on that, and I guarantee you by people most, you mean the comedy community. Yeah, a lot yeah. of yeah, he's like the most uh, hated on, but. Most of those people, I guarantee you, have never seen him perform. 
Mm. I haven't seen him yet, but but yeah, because because everything can sound whatever in theory yeah. till you see it kill in a real room. When it yeah. kills in a real room, you're like, oh, okay. And it's like there's an audience for what any comedian's doing. If you if you see them having an audience, then yeah, they ha- there's a there's a need for that comedy. You know, and if it's funny to you, right? Because mm-hmm. I feel like the best art almost has to be slightly selfish for the artist, in mm-hmm. that it should be pleasing to you. Right, exactly. And the more specifically pleasing it is to you, from you to you, there's somebody out there that can tap into that and relate to it. They'll be like, right. oh, that's exactly what I was thinking, right? But yeah. when you try to make it about what you think they're going to like, then it's not really authentic to anybody. Might as well just be polarizing and have it be your style. Yeah, your I think way. there's a balance of that, though, because you also can't, I, I feel like you can't um, just be self-indulgent. You have to be able to relate to the audience. So there has to be a, 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 some kind of a, um, consideration of the audience too. So otherwise I won't relate to them. So you, I, I feel like it has to come from a truth in yourself. You have to, I think it, the pleasure that you're talking about, like you, it has to be pleasurable to you to perform it. Yeah. You know, like, so you have to enjoy performing it, but then also keep in mind the audience because that's who it's designed for and who's going to relate to it. Right, you, you can't ignore I mean? them completely. Right. Otherwise, you might as well just do a Zoom show, right? Yeah. It's like, it's a, what is art without an audience? <laughs> right. You know, the tree hasn't fallen in the woods. You know, does it make a sound? It's the same. It's like, what is art without the audience? They're the receivers. That's a good point. That would be like a DJ just going up and just playing whatever they wanted <laughs> and not listening to the crowd at all. People are stopping and dancing, and they're still like hitting the same thing. It's like, yeah, it has to be what you want, but in a collaborative rhythm with the audience. Right. And there are DJs that do that. There are <laughs> DJs that, that are like, I'm going to, but it's a different dynamic. They're not going to be hired to do um, a club night at, you know, to get people dancing. Yeah. They're there for watch me DJ. This is, they're more like a watch the skills that I have. I miss those kind of DJs. Yeah. Oh my God. There was this one, I don't want to name him, but there was a DJ opening for a very famous comedian. Uh huh. And his name kind of sounds like what, experience he gave us he gave us a very like let's say traumatic experience (laughs) in that he kept setting up tracks and right Uh before the best part he would just start talking and offbeat transition to the next one and we were like "Ah!" Uh, was his name dj clue no (laughs) sorry sorry clue if you're out there (laughs) no but uh, let's just say it happened continuously and i was like wow is it like am i missing a different brand of dj or is he just that bad just like not was he doing it ironically or no, he it, was, it would have to be a 30 minute long ironic set okay. of just like every time, like the best part's about to come. And he's like, <laughs> who's ready to see the main act tonight? And offbeat transition. Yo, uh, um, Spotify has um, like a, a 90s hip hop playlist mm-hmm. that they made that has an auto transition. Oh, okay. Not just a two second blend from song one to song two, yeah. but like. As it's fading out song one, it drops on the downbeat of song two, maybe oh, wow. like a bar or two into it or something. And they've never talked about it. Nobody's ever talked about it. It's just a feature I just saw. It just has. It's like, a, it's like I love 90s hip hop or something. You just talked about it. Yeah. DJ AI. <laughs> like, so they're going to put DJs out of commission, out, well, of, well, out I, of business. Well, I feel like, yeah, I could see it happening, right? Because if you just set like a pre-point of like saying, hey, when we go to this song, drop mm-hmm. it here. When you yeah. leave this song, leave it there. And he put those marks on all the songs in the playlist. Yeah. I guess an AI could. Yeah. I mean, then it's the programmer who was, would be the DJ, you know, programming the music, uh, what's coming next. So, yeah, I was used to, when I would, would uh, 
being be interviewed for like can you do my party like uh um being considered to do a party um i would you know i think it's important like as far as the djs out there they're very valuable if you're if you have a dj for your party it's like that's the main thing it's like the atmosphere of your party is going to be predicted by the dj it's going to be going to be created by the dj yeah yeah. Now, uh, what is your business of comedy? This is because a lot of the the purpose and the mission behind this podcast is yeah. to capture you know artists that are professional creatives, right? And I want to talk specifically you. Okay. What is your business of comedy? As in, like, um, what's like the financial model behind it? Even right, like oh, right man. now, like do you like <laughs> like like not to give out not to yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. pry too much, but just like how does it work for you? Well, where I am right now. I'm self-funding my special. Okay. So right now I feel like the business model is don't be afraid to spend money. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, you are afraid and you get to keep telling yourself, this is going to pay off. You have done your work. You're going to be prepared, even though it doesn't feel like it right now, but you're going to get your ass prepared or else, or else because you put some, so much money. But what what I did was like when I decided to do to do this, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this, and I'm just gonna trust the universe, and I did it. And what happened was, you're talking about well, self funding the special, yeah, self funding the special. Okay, what once I did that, the fear made me start acting differently, mm. right? So I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta finish these things right now. It's I got a must now. Yeah, now I you're committed, f- right? I gotta, I gotta become the organized person that I always wanted to be. That I always like. When I journal, I get down on myself. I wish I was more organized. You too. And, yeah. Right. <laughs> I wish I was more organized. And like now, I'm like, oh wow, I'm like way more organized because I'm scared shitless that I'm gonna like. If I don't, then I'm 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 gonna be screwed. Yeah. So it it puts the fire under your ass, dude. When you take that risk. Whatever that risk is, it's like do or die, fight or flight. And it's like you can you can read about swimming or you can jump in the ocean. Right. It's two different things when you have real consequences. I yeah. think the real consequences of you putting your money on the line. Yeah. Right. And obviously different people have different levels of funds. If somebody's just starting out, they're probably not gonna make a special. But taking some kind of a chance, mm-hmm. some kind of a commitment that says, no, now you have to do it. Yeah. Then there's no choice, right? Yeah. Like I I on the on the advice of my friend Joe Coy, who I was opening for right before the pandemic, you know he's a big proponent of bet on yourself, mm. and he funded uh, his first Netflix special. Really? Netflix said no many times, and he kept pressing, kept pressing. They always said no. He bet on himself, took his own money, made an amazing special, and then when he brought it to them, they eventually said yes. He brought it to them finished. Like he yeah, paid for the finished. production company, the shooters, and that's Joe Coy. Yeah. He was already, already, he was already, <laughs> yeah, he was already like a big deal before that. Like had done multiple Comedy Central specials, like late night shows and stuff like that. Wow. They said they, that they were not interested at Netflix. And he, he turned that no into a yes. Um, and is that your, are you going to self-release this special that you're filming? We're going to have to see. If uh, we're going to shop it around, I'm not betting on... So first I'm, you're filming it to capture it, to make yeah, it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make it. Um, oh, by the way, that, that term, make it, is really important to me because when I did my first special, I was asking myself the question, when am I going to make it? Mm. When am I going to make it? 
And it's always stuck with me because I said, oh yeah, I have to make it. I'm the one who has to make the situation that I want. And that's, ever since then, I've always said, okay, the, the ball's in your court. The power's in your hands. You have to make it. Yes. Nobody has the keys to making it. It's only. almost like it's in the word. Yeah, it like is. Like maybe we're hypnotized to thinking that making it means when is it going to feel like a lottery? Like, mm -hmm. oh, but in reality, it's like I put myself there. And it's like yeah. you're literally taking, taking responsibility for making it. I have um, the closing of my special. I'll give you a little, a little preview. But the closing of my special has a line, um, the closing piece has a line about um, making it. Mm. And I say that you ask yourself, when are you going to make it? And the answer's in the question. True. <laughs> Yo, that is such a simple reframe. Mm -hmm. And it's right there in the question. Yeah. Reframe. I like that. That's in music, right? That's another hint. Oh, I was, I was thinking in psychology and, and uh, framing it like a, the perspective of something. I guess reframe is a musical term, right? Reframe, yeah. Reframe? I was thinking reframe. Oh, I was thinking refrain. What does refrain mean it's in like music? A, I really don't know. But it's like, <laughs> I think it's like a repeating of a, it's a repeating of frame. Yeah. It's a repeating of one of those frames. It's when one frame yeah. isn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you know you what? You gotta do that frame again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when you see the special and you watch back this clip, you, it'll all make sense. And you'll be like, oh, shoot. When you reframe this clip. <laughs> <laughs> reframe the reframe. Yeah, reframe, this, reframe and reframe this clip. I really like that. When am I going to make it? The answer's in the question. Yeah. Mm. Let's just take a moment. Because really, the, 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 first, the first iteration of that phrase sounds like, when am I going to be awarded validation? Right. When That's, is someone going to give it to me? When in, it's literally in the, in the phrasing. Yeah. When am I, I going to make, make it? it. Yep. Woo. Hell yeah. Oh my God. Breakthrough. Breakthrough. <laughs> I don't care what they say about you, man. You're okay with me. Thanks, man. You know, who cares about the rumors? About me, you know? No. Allegedly. What do they say? Right? <laughs> what do you guys say? What do you say? <laughs> um, do you ever listen to Tony Robbins? You know what's weird is when you... When we were saying that last little exchange, I was like, I was going to say, I'm the next Tony Robbins. <laughs> um, I have listened to him. I feel like his voice is always like slowed down tape. Because his voice is like that. His voice is so deep. Uh, I think he's great. I do think he's great. But the one, the, the one that like charges me up, um, two things in that same vein of like self-help uh, transformational stuff. First of all, the book, The Artist's Way, mm. has totally guided my, it's my Bible. The Artist's Way? The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. We gotta make a note of that. Stevie, remember yeah. me, to, we gotta research that one. The it's, Artist's Way. It's a book that you don't just read, you do it. It's a, packed with all kinds of writing exercises and you do morning pages every day, three pages, free form, just let it flow. Um, don't censor yourself. Um, and, and that's like becomes a ritual for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, and then it helps you mine your past to be able to like figure out like why you think a certain way and then change it to what you want. And that's actually what doing that book for the first time, I've done it about five, six times, but the first time I did it, that's what put me on the path to the kind of show that I do now. 
because I thought like, what's the most fun show that I could do? And I was like, I wanted to feel like I'm DJing and I'm rocking the crowd. Mm. And I'm like getting that crowd onto that. Cause when you see people dancing and they're, they're in, in a state of elation where they're, all their cares are gone, right? So I wanted to do a, a version of comedy that feels like that. So that's what the, informed that. Then the other thing that more recently that I just really love is, um, and I know a lot of people talk about this and, and maybe I might sound a little cliche, but David Goggins. Oh, yeah. Stay dude, hard, motherfucker. Dude, <laughs> he's the best. I listened to his book, which you got to listen to it, not just read it, but the, the one on Audible. Does he read it? Uh, he has a, the writer, the ghostwriter that, mm. that um, wrote the book reads it. Um, but what the way they do it, you get so much more content out mm -hmm. of listening to this thing because it's almost like a podcast meets um, a book reading. I love that because yeah. when it comes to books, I just do audiobooks. Yeah, so there's a, in between, yeah, in between on uh, every chapter, they discuss it and all this other stuff comes Oh, so out. they talk about the chapter yeah. together. Yeah, so it's like oh. almost like a whole other book in between the book. Um, What'd you get but, from that? Oh, man, that lean into the pain that things are supposed to be painful and hard and you don't, you don't, uh, if you feel like you enjoy that, if you can get your mind to a, a place of that you can enjoy the pain that is pleasurable to you, that you're like, yeah, bring it on. You can't hurt me. That's the name of his book, Can't Hurt Me. Mm. You can't hurt me. Then you're going to be able to use much more of your capacity as a human. Yes. He says that we, we only use a small portion of our pain threshold that that we stop short and and you have so much more potential that you, that you don't lock into mm. um it's almost like we condition ourselves to have a low threshold yeah right yeah, whenever we soft. have pain we go right into like we don't let ourselves feel the pain enough to cause change we stay in the middle ground yeah right and that like not too happy not too sad yeah. but really it's like feel the sadness all the way it's like fuck i don't want to feel this again so you can shoot back up right you right. have to be able to endure it yeah what was one of your biggest challenges setbacks i know um, we all have many but what was a situation particularly that that set hmm. you back emotionally or personally or career-wise or whatever I don't know if there was one incident but i think what you know what i struggle with probably the most is like trusting mm. trusting like that things are going to be okay that you know, the decision to make my special was really hard for me to, um, I guess it's like, you know, you believe that, that everything's going to be okay, like, um, by spending this money. So it, 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 it took me a while to decide that. So like also trusting people I think is hard for me, has been hard for me. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm getting better at it, but, um, I tend to kind of my girlfriend says micromanage uh, because I don't feel like I want to, I want to be involved in it. You know, like I want to make sure it's going okay. Um, and I try not to do it. And I try to, when I'm working with people, I try to tell them like, look, I know that I have this problem. So if I'm getting too micromanagey with you, just, you just let me know. Have you ever gone to off. therapy? I have. Um, have you guys ever looked I've into never, that? I've never been. Oh, with me and my girlfriend? No, looked oh. into the the not trusting. Oh wait, this isn't therapy. <laughs> I thought that's what that's what I was, what I was here. No, and how uh, does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah, uh, this isn't therapy. Um, I have gone in therapy. I haven't had really good success with like person therapy, like mm. with people. They always just like listen, and I download my brain to them for weeks, and then 
they don't like, really give you challenge. Then they go, or... you do the, you do. <laughs> They're like, well, what do you think? I'm like, nah, dude, that's why I'm here. What do you think? Tell me what to do. <laughs> One guy fell asleep on me. Did he really? Yeah, in therapy. And I'm like, tell him, I'm trying to give him as much detail as possible. And he's like, and I'm like, dude, this is my last <laughs> session, bro. Because, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, it's kind of rude. Oh, shit. But think about that. As a therapist, you got to listen to people's BS and all day. Yeah, and, I feel like I feel like I would be better off as like a, a coach than a therapist because I would want to offer solutions right away. Yeah. I would want to be like, so what do you want? Let's fix it. <laughs> I have had success with coaches, more success with coaches. Mm. Um same. Yeah, like my my cousin, my cousins are coaches. So they're, they're married and um yeah, that's 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 been and, and actually actually through sports like coaches like i've learned so much from yeah like my swim coaches and my um and teachers like i had a, a really good teacher uh professor in college that he was kind of like the goggins of journalism <laughs> <laughs> the goggins yeah of, stay ethical motherfucker yeah. <laughs> stay, stay objective what are the facts <laughs> right stay factual uh but no, but he was like about hard work and stuff mm. and like you got to like dig in, you got to go beyond what other people are going to do um, and like, you know, be willing to sacrifice, whatever. But so, yeah, so I, I learned more. I think I think coaches are, are probably the way that I, I go, but unless I find a good therapist. Yeah, I've only tried therapy a, a couple times and it was yeah. the same thing, like just me downloading stuff to them. Yeah. But they weren't really challenging me, you know, like I have a, I just last year got like a success coach so to speak um mm -hmm. from the tony robbins company yeah and oh, really? basically what they what they do is they ask me like what do you want <laughs> and yeah. why do you believe you can't have it and right. let's go to work on it it's we right. don't really talk about the past we just talk about the future mm -hmm. and what tends to happen is the fact that i'm paying them mm -hmm. makes me want to do <laughs> <Right>. it <laughs> it's really just leverage on myself because i uh -huh. know what i gotta do Mm -hmm. I just don't do it sometimes. Yeah. So the fact that I have a coach and I talk to, and, I, and then I'm like, hey, well, this is what I claim I want to do this next week. And then we tend to talk about the threshold of my beliefs. Like mm. if I feel like I got work under control, but like my relationship is stressing me out, then we talk about that. And why do I believe this is stressing me? Or I feel the relationship is going good, but then this work thing is out of control. We kind of focus on wherever I feel like I'm losing control and losing hope in yeah. a particular area. And we try to demystify it. Like why... Why do I believe that can't work out? Mm. That's cool. Yeah, like mapping your brain out. That's like, yeah. That's 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 also a lot. You know, like the artist way does that. The that's four, what it sounded like it was. Yeah. The four agreements is another one. Ooh, yeah, Don Miguel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah what are the four agreements? It's um, be impeccable I with can your never word. Remember all of them. Um, yeah. Don't take anything personally. Yeah. Always try your best and. Yeah, I can only remember three, and they're always different. Um, yeah. Uh, do your best, be impeccable with your word. Um, don't make assumptions, is that it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because sometimes, you know, we'll download, you know, personal development things, self-help things, and they'll make sense intellectually, mm -hmm. but then I go and live life yeah. and make mistakes again. And then at some point it clicks in. It's like, oh, that's what they were talking about, right? And then a few iterations later, then I go back to it and I'm like, got it. Because I feel like I always learn something intellectually first. Yeah. 
but then it takes a while for it to get into habitual practice, right? Like, yeah. like I understood money way before I had any. Like I've basically been broke most of my career up until mm-hmm. very recently, you know? And it's just like, I was like a smart broke guy. And it was so <laughs> weird, right? Being able to like hold court with somebody like, yeah. and be like, yeah, I understand finances, you know, but negative in my account, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not until you're like evicted from the apartment and you're like, fuck, yeah. save money, motherfucker, asset allocation, you know right. what I mean? Pay yourself first. And, like, and then the lessons really kick in because then I have an emotional reason to, to apply it. It's not just mm. a, a theory of here's how you handle money well. Right. It's like actually do it. That's weird. Like we both talked about the emotional reason to, um, to, to change. Yeah. Right. Like those, you gotta like give yourself stakes almost, right? Like I spent money more than I was comfortable with, and that gave me the stakes to to change my behavior to be able to finish this uh, special. And and you yeah. with your finances, you were like, oh yeah. shit, yeah. <laughs> you were like, oh shit. So I actually got to apply it. Yeah. So basically what we're saying is, uh, it's all money, money, uh, (laughs) inspired, right? Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the, you know, I've had friends that were relatively irresponsible until they got, um, their girlfriend pregnant. And then after they had a baby, they just got their shit. They somehow made more money. Right. Right. Cause now they have a reason. Yeah. 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 You're right. You got to have the reason. Maybe deeper meaning comes from more responsibility. Yeah. Right. Now you're responsible to delivering this great special. Yeah. Now it financially. Yeah. It, if, it's it's an imperative. Yeah. I so, gotta do it. So now excellence is a must. That's true. Right. So I gotta always put myself in that. And 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 this is the other thing what you're saying is like you 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 learn the the rules and then you went out and you did <laughs> the same thing again. Yeah. Right. But like I think that's always gonna be it. And what you were saying is like you you make it habitual it's like it's like working out you get stronger and stronger right right but i think like we as humans we want to bring order to the chaos of the world the world is like inherently chaotic but we somehow are control freaks and we think we can control it (laughs) yeah but it's never going to be perfect and as long as you can be comfortable with that then i think you'll be a lot a lot happier and finding meaning it. Yeah. And like, um, for example, I did a shoot a couple of days ago for one of the companies that I have is we sell online master classes with choreographers. Okay. And we have a couple different channels. One that's doing really well, one that's doing okay. And I haven't shot in this other one in a couple couple months. And I went back to shoot it. And I was like, oh, let's make it a half day shoot. I was trying to be more chill about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, during one of the master classes, I hadn't switched the battery out. And I was like, oh, we can last. This battery will last for the end of this take. And it was like a long, like a 30 minute take. Okay. At the very, very end, the battery went out. Oh. And I was like, I've been doing this for 20 years. What the fuck am I doing? Like, how did, how did I, it's like, oh, I didn't stick to my standards. Uh, yeah. I treated this like it was just, oh, it's a chill shoot today. No, it's not, man. This is the real work. Like, go back to doing it the, the right way, you know? Right. It's like, um, I have to remember to still take the process seriously, even though I've done it many times. Yep. You know? That's the, it's with stand-up, it's the same thing. When you have a good set, you're, you're kind of sometimes at danger in your next set mm. because you have all this like, oh, I killed. And I've been in this situation where I killed the night before. And then the next night, I got all this confidence, and then I bomb because I didn't. now I got to tell, I tell myself what I learned from that is you got to start from zero every time. Yes. You know? You didn't prove anything. Yeah, you gotta you gotta 
give the same amount of force as you did the time before, if not more. It's almost like there's an illusion <clears throat> that we have, like a mythical false belief that once a person makes it, they try less. Mm. And I guess in some cases that could work, right? Like maybe if you have many followers, you have more view, whatever. You know what I mean? Right. But like I was watching the Michael Jordan documentary, and I'm not even a big basketball guy like that, right? But he worked his ass off. He was up before everybody, and he was Michael Jordan, and he was getting right. up at four and going to the gym and right. practicing and training his mind and everything. And it's like even when he's already at that level, already right. one of the greats, already multiple championships won, he's like, no, now I'm going to get up at four again. So I think that, you know, as artists, right. we need to let go of this illusion that once we make it, it'll then be easy. You have to enjoy the hard now, like what David Goggins talks about. Right. Just find pleasure in doing it the right way. Yeah. Like You're in right. just in doing in putting the process right. Like, how do yeah. you properly prepare for something, not taking it for granted? Right, you become comfortable with that, the hard work. Become comfortable with that hard work and love it. Love that that, that it's hard. And so, yeah, that's what I'm. I'm I want to keep on this this journey where I am right now because this feels good. That'd be a nice T-shirt. Love it when it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> or a nice pair of underwear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you're going to film the special. Yeah. Then you shop it. Do you have like a shopping person? Do I have a shopping list? Uh, like, is there like a, like a person whose job it is to shop it for you? I don't. Maybe that person will, will appear, but I have some good relationships with people, um, that I might be able to get in in front of the right eyes. If it doesn't go on a major streaming service, what a lot of comedians are doing right now, like great comedians with, with credits are, they're just putting it on YouTube. Yep. Because Mark Norman did a whole special yeah, on YouTube, right? And right. I found out about him. Yeah. Shoals and, built his whole thing up like that. Yeah. And the, the advantage of that is that you have more control over it, which I like. Yes. Uh, I like the, <laughs> I like the control, but also you can retain some of those people. Like if they subscribe to your, your YouTube channel. Yeah. So now you kind of have a direct, uh, direct, not, I, I like I like email, even though um, it's good to have the email list. Yeah, I like if your channel gets taken down and you didn't capture their stuff right. into your Mailchimp or whatever, then yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, you know, at least you're you're connected on YouTube with them, and then um, you don't get buried. You know, you if they if you you know a, an entity buys your thing, there's no usually no guarantee that they're gonna show it. Right, you that know? could happen. Somebody could buy you and shelve you. Mm -hmm. Then all that work is gone for just the payout. Then you don't get the actual audience growth. Exactly. It almost makes more sense that, like, unless it goes to like a major streamer, that like YouTube would be better off. Right. In terms of expand, like a proof of concept. Like, look how many people are really fucking with me. Right. Right. And then I, th I believe I don't know if this is. Tr I think Mark Norman or somebody that did really well with their YouTube special. They, I believe have a their next special will be on netflix mm. i think it was mark norman yeah but um and i just saw that uh andrew shoals just bought his back oh he had made a special did a deal with the streamer i think it was amazon they okay. haven't said amazon or netflix like the company paid to film it with the streamers cameras and everything okay and then when it came time to for the edit the streamer wanted to cut out a bunch of jokes Oh, that's why. Okay. And then that's, that's what he said publicly, at least. Yeah. I don't know him directly. This is okay. just what, what I read, you know? And then he was, he spent a bunch of money to buy it back from them. And now he's just releasing it like for sale on like a website. Just, I saw that. Yeah. Just solo. And it's like, um, yeah. 
you know, I really hope that that can open the door for free speech for comedy on these big platforms because other than Dave Chappelle and Ricky Gervais, they don't really take a lot of chances. And I think that's mostly just because those are huge pre-established names. Mm -hmm. Like Chappelle was the one pushing the furthest amount of like PC culture speech in his special, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, I hope that the streamers will just start letting comedians do their thing. Yeah, I mean, they have they have um viewers and I mean subscribers that they have to answer to, you know. And and what that they're afraid of. Yeah, that they're afraid of losing subscribers. So there's that that dynamic and I don't know. I mean, look at it from their perspective like if if uh you're like 20% of your subscribers leave, then it's like you lose money. So, yeah, who knows, but you know, I think that there's something to be said that for, for somebody like Andrew Schultz who has the audience built in and they're going to, you know, do his promotion for him as well. They're going to additionally promote it. It makes sense if you want to be exact and crystal clear with what you're, you know, with, with getting your act out there hundred yeah. percent, then yeah, that makes sense. And I think that the, the main, for comedians, the main, um, the main like uh, financial benefit is not necessarily even in what you sell the special to for the network. It's in your ticket sales. Right. It's what happens yeah. afterwards. Right. It's because of the special, your next tour, you sell out more theaters, right. higher ticket price. Right. That's where so the money comes in. That's where that's, you can monetize it in different ways. You don't have to even sell it. That's why people are putting it up on YouTube. Yeah. So, yeah. That makes sense. And right now, when you travel and do shows, do you produce them too, or do you just get booked out? Do you like producing? Um, you mean shows for like comedy shows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, do you ever organize the show, or do you just get booked to go play? Um, yeah, I'd say a variety <clears throat> of all of that stuff. Um, I have been working without a manager or agent for a long time. Really? Because I've worked with some. Some good, some uh, not so good for me. Um, and I just feel like at this point, you know, I've, I've had offers to, to go with certain people and it just didn't feel right. So that's also another thing with this special is that I just want to like put out like my vision and then the reaction to it may lead me to whoever it is I'm supposed to work with. Mm. So I've been able to get this far um, on, you know, for a lot of years on my own. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it's, it's hard, but it's, you know, it's also the forces you to be like more organized, I guess. How Um, did you like work your way up to like opening for Joe Coy, for example? Right. Cause like for somebody who's like an aspiring comic out there, how yeah. did they even get to that point? Well, it's weird because like I never opened for anybody before. I was already <laughs> headlining like my own shows and clubs, and um, oh, so that was how. So you were already so, building your name. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, so like, um, you know, with my with with my career, and I don't know if it's been the same with other comedians, but you know, it doesn't it doesn't like just go on a <laughs> straight up trajectory, right? Right. There's been I feel like it's gone like up. But then there's been plateaus and and short and like, I definitely am am higher up than when I started or or even ten years ago. But um, there are times, uh, you know, like back in oh seven oh eight, 
I was the number one comedian on MySpace. No shit. Because my videos were, they were featuring my videos. Um, I was one of the first comedians, I guess, to, to do videos regularly. Wow. To, to release videos. A lot of like parody songs and, and, and like topical um, music videos. Shout out to Tom. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, what up, Tom? <laughs> um, by the way, I saw him riding, on, riding his bike down the street near my house, and I said, yo, Tom, it's me, Eric Schwartz, the number one comedian on MySpace. And he, uh, he, didn't, he didn't acknowledge <laughs> me. Uh, but uh, yeah, so like, how do I get to opening for Joe Coy? Well, I actually knew Joe when, when we both kind of started in LA. Really? Like back in 03. And so, you know, we both have had our own trajectory, and I would run into him so many because we live, both live in studio city and i would just run into him like every so often and we've always had a, a good rapport and then one day i ran into him and he goes dude you should come on my podcast i'm like yeah that'd be cool um so i like had to change a flight uh to to do the podcast and i did it it was great and then that kind of like kept us like talking a little bit more and then one day i was doing a club called the brea improv and they had a huge mural of this dude on the side of the building. And I'm like, what the hell? And I look inside and they had another mural inside and it said, congratulations, Joe Coy, for selling out 77 consecutive shows. I'm like, what? So like over the years, he's sold out that many. And wow. now, it's, now it's more, now it's more. Could you tell and, back then mm -hmm. who was going to make it? Um, like looking no. back now, at the people from that time mm -hmm. that didn't didn't make it, could you tell, or was it all up in the air? Um, I will let me answer that. But this is—I just wanted to finish the story about Joe Coy. Okay. So, so then I called him up. I like showed him. A, I took a video of that mural, and I and I sent it to him. He's like, "Dude, what's up, man? What are you doing tonight? Come, come, oh, come, do a spot on my show in Irvine." And I go, "I can't do it tonight." He goes, "Well, come tomorrow." So I go down to Irvine. I, I did a spot and I'm like, dude, this is the best audience. I love it. If you ever need me, you just let me know. And then I just kept doing it more and more. And then he brought me on tour for like eight months before the pandemic. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. So went to like seven countries. It was great. So having relationships. Yeah. Connecting with people. Yeah. Helping people. I was like, stay friends. Looking at, oh, uh, looking at the camera. Yeah. Oh, you're looking yeah. at the relationships. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Listen to him. Uh, so, but then, uh, could I tell who was going to make it? Um, in a way, yeah. I just had like my favorites. Are you surprised that the people who made it made it? I mean, um, that's a different way to put it. Maybe like, yeah, it doesn't really surprise me. Um, were there people that you thought were going to make it that didn't? I can always like you can always go back now and go, oh yeah, I see why that person made it. I see, I see why that person got to where they are for sure. Um, yeah, there definitely would be people that I can't even think of one right now, but people you don't that have to I was say like, names, but wow, I mean, just in general, awesome. I yeah. can't believe. Well, you know, one of them. And I wouldn't say he didn't make it, but I mean he's made it in his own right. Um, he's hugely popular in um, on the East Coast. But there's a guy named Bob Marley. He's a comedian, not the reggae <laughs> artist, but um, Bob Marley. Real name? Yeah, hilarious. One of the funniest comedians I would ever see. When I first started, I would watch him. It was the lineup every night at the Laugh Factory was him, uh, Dane Cook, um, Jay Moore. A lot of times. Um, Carlos Oscar and these guys would go up all the time and just crush and Bob Marley was so funny dude and he just he 
was trying to get a sitcom. He's a, a comedian from Maine. He's okay. like every, he's a household name in Maine. <clears throat> and um, he was trying to do like a sitcom and he gave himself like a set amount of time to do it and then it didn't happen. He got like all these holding deals and it didn't happen. So he went back to Maine with his family and has a hugely successful career doing just theater shows on the in the Northeast and corporate shows. Um, and he's so getting to do what he loves. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, if he would have stayed out here, would he have finally gotten that that sitcom? I think he he's undeniable. He's so funny. But like Dane Cook was was my favorite comedian watching, you know, that I would watch during that time. And I was like, this guy's hilarious. Like mm. this is like late nineties. I would I was recording comedians for the radio. Uh, that was my job for a radio network. And um I would he was like my favorite. I would watch him every night. And I actually ended up editing his first album. No shit. Yeah, the Harmful of Swallowed. No, no people shit. don't know that. People because I'm not credited on it, but um I edited we ed- we went to uh in the studio and we were we edited it together. So yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it was cool to be able to to work with like the guy at that time who was like my definitely like my idol of 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 comedy because he's doing awesome. it differently than anyone else. And I'm sure being in the room with other comedians too, you guys have a consistent like workshop, which is mm-hmm. the comedy club, mm-hmm. right? Like you get to do it, you test your jokes out, you see other people doing it, you get to tap into the frequency consistently, right? Especially with the more shows that you do. Yeah, there's and, def- and it's such a weird bag too, right? Like uh, like a uh, when you know I go to comedy shows maybe three or four times a month, like I, I frequently go and there'll be a mixture between like major acts mm-hmm. and like somebody relatively up and coming who you don't know. Yeah. And I'm sure it does really good for both of them. To watch each other. To watch each other yeah. and to feel it. I always try to learn from, I always say like you can learn from anyone watching them do comedy. Mm-hmm. If they're good, if they're bad, if they're new, if they're a veteran. Um, I always just try to, when I watch, I go, oh, why did that work? Uh, why didn't that work? What could have What could have been done? How would I have done it differently in my voice? Yeah. Um, so you just learn by just like analyzing it, which means that you have no fun watching comedy anymore. But hey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now I know that there are classes for improv, but there's uh-huh. no stand-up class. There are. There are. Yeah. Really? There are. I think a lot of comedians would um, not would they do um, like <laughs> shit on them, um, but there are. I think there's a level of education you can get from a comedy class and there's a level of education you cannot get from a comedy class mm. from a stand-up class because there's a technical part of it right like the setup the tag whatever yeah. right like mm-hmm. that i guess technically could be taught but right you can't give somebody that magic that spark to want to be on stage and share bravely yeah i think what you can give them is the technique mm-hmm. uh the technique of, like what you that's said, the word te- i was looking for technique. yeah technical stuff technique same same word but yeah i think what you can you can give them that you can you know like also, like, just the etiquette of stand-up of, like, you know, put the mic back in the stand if you're hosting. And if you're hosting, ask the person their credits or, you know, they're, like, courtesy things that you do about how to act in a comedy club. and how Don't to steal act. jokes. Right, or don't steal <laughs> jokes, right? Um, but there's, I think, um, yeah, the magic what you're talking about is, like, that your point of view, only you can, only you can really create somebody can help you develop it i believe but i think like it has to come from you like that's what you can't really teach yeah i mean you have to want to be on stage first of all 
Mm-hmm. You have to care enough to push through bombing. Right. It's like a musician too. Like you can sing and you can sing technically well and you can hit every note, but to to um, really like become that person that's magnetic that you can't stop watching, mm. that has to come from that X factor. That oomph. Yeah, that like <laughs> your passion. Because you've seen singers or guitar players or whatever who are like, you're like, yeah, they're hitting the notes, but you're like, eh, so what? But they're it's not. that flair. Yeah. Yeah. That flair, you really can't be. Did you know you had a flair? Um, I mean, I guess I had to believe that I did. Yeah, because uh, that wouldn't do it either. Anyway, I mean, it wouldn't do it if I didn't think that I had that thing. I, I get, I get a charge of like from performing in front of people. I've always done it since I was a kid. Yeah, you know, I've always like since I was a kid, I would put on shows for my family, and so just that feeling that I get from being able to entertain somebody, like, yeah, sharing I, that joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. you get off stage, are you more energized, or are you tired when you get off stage? Depends how it went, man. Uh, <laughs> if it went well, yeah, I'm super energized. Okay, for about an hour, and then I was made fun of on the Joe Coy tour <laughs> for every night. At about midnight, you could almost like set your watch to it. I always start falling asleep. They called me C3PO <laughs> because I would power down. I mean, it's, it's, like not, a a, it's not a crazy time to go to bed. No, but it's like once the endorphins wear off and then I relax. It's almost like a crash. It's like yeah. a caffeine crash or something. Yeah. I definitely get that when when I like, ah, okay, cool, it's over. And then my, my mind turns off and then I'm like. <laughs> when you're performing, are you in your head thinking about doing it right or are you tapping into subconscious of just knowing how to transition, right? Like, yeah. like, like are you sitting there thinking consciously? Because they say there's mm-hmm. like the four levels of, of mastery, right? One is when you're doing it wrong and you don't know you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. think it's like unconscious incompetence. Then there's a level where you know you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Then there's a level where you where you're like making yourself do it right. And then there's a level where you just kind of do it right, just mm. like with driving. Like right now, yeah. like sometimes I'm driving and I just I realize I'm thinking about something and yeah. I just notice myself at the destination. I have no idea how I got That's there. It's hypnosis, like, yeah. Right. Like, are you in that state when you're performing, or are you thinking because you said you're a micromanager? Yeah. More and more, I'm getting into that. I kind of, you know, I would think it was more like a flow state, right? Yeah. Um, more and more, I'm getting there. Um, and I, w- I would always strive to do that. But yeah, there's definitely like times when I'm in my head of like, um, make sure you say this because I'm trying to remember a new joke or something. But I, s- I feel like the more successful I am on stage at the beginning, the easier I can get into that flow state because I-, I know the audience is with me. And the more encouragement I get from the audience, the looser and freer I become. Because yes. I know that I can't, after a while, I can't fail. It's like the winner effect. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Like when you just know you're feeling yourself. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> that's why I think it's important, like, to hit them early, <laughs> hit them up front, get them, get them at the beginning, hook them. With the, then, with, the opener should be one you know is going to hit. Yeah. You think? Yeah. I think you should always start. Mm-hmm. What I try to do is I always start. Try to start and end strong. So you sandwich the new material with yeah. proven stuff. Yeah, I heard an interview with um, Woody Allen once, which <laughs> you, I don't. He's not like a, a, a um, liked person these days, but it's an old interview before he got canceled. 
<laughs> uh, from like the 60s, and they were asking him, they go, when do you do a new joke? Is it when things are, a lot of comedians do it uh, when it's an, a quiet night and there's not a lot of risk of, uh, of it um, being heard by a lot of people. He goes, not me. I like to do it Saturday night when everything's great. Give it the best chance. And that's what I kind of like, if I took anything from Woody Allen, mm. and that's the only one thing I will take, uh, <laughs> is that that I try to give the new bit the benefit of the doubt the best chance. Right, because yeah. if you just do it in some rinky-dink show, mm -hmm. if you do it on a Monday night show, yeah. then you're almost like a, you're telling it that it's likely not going to work or that yeah. you're afraid of it now. You're putting that energy into it. I like that. You're telling it it's not good enough yet. You're telling mm. right. You're telling it it's you are thinking it's not worthy yet. So, and also it's like you're not even going to get a good read on it because maybe the audience isn't listening or they maybe they're yeah. you know the Monday night crowd is different than a Friday. Friday yeah. eight is different than Monday eleven. Right? Yeah, it, it depends on the night, right? But yeah. I'm saying like, like if you're doing it in a in an open mic and it's all comedians listening to it, they don't even like good jokes. Sometimes they're not a an accurate audience to test material. Right, because they're analyzing or they're in their head or whatever. Yeah. They're thinking about going their set that they're going to go on <laughs> and bomb for three minutes because no one's listening to them. So Right. Yeah. Man. And it was like the open mic, I don't, I don't do them anymore, but I went, I went and did one with a friend of mine like a few years ago who's getting into comedy, and I was like, I'll go with you. And I, and I ended up getting up, and I did it, and I'm like, dude, that is the hardest set the hardest type of comedy to do, and you give it to the person with the less, the least experience. I'm like, it's not fair. That that's not even like a real audience. If yeah. the audience is just the next five open micers and a couple of their friends, like not even. It's just all comedians. <laughs> it's all in LA. It's almost always all comedians who have heard every joke, don't want to laugh at yours because they're like I just said, they're analyzing. Yeah. Right. They don't want to laugh at yours because then they feel like they're not funny. And then also, they're not even listening because they're thinking about going up. So, yeah. And they only really laugh at like really shocking, nasty, gross, taboo stuff that normal audiences wouldn't laugh at. Right. You got to start off with something shocking just to even get their attention. Right. <clears throat> what would be, because I know you can't teach the oomph. What would be the most important technical things you would bestow upon a young comic, right? If somebody's out there saying, hey, I'm gonna, hey Eric, I'm going to start my open mic next week. Yeah. What should I pay attention to? Man, I don't know if I've ever come up with a good answer to this question, but I, I really feel like you know the answer inside of you and just listen to it. A lot of times, like with any career, you go like, should I stay in this? Should I, what should I do? And you really know the answer. Like, and that answer is like, if money were not an object, if there were no consequences, what would you do? And I feel like that's the same with any kind of art, with any decision. So I guess that's what I would say. Draw from that truth. Yeah. yeah. Almost like, because we have like the, what we think is a safe idea mm -hmm. and the one that's like gets us giggly, like, ooh, it'd be yeah. kind of wild if I did this, right? Yeah. That one. <laughs> yes. And in the artist way, they call that the true north. Mm. Yeah. It's I need to like, read that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you 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 have that book in you already. I I feel it. You have a lot of that book in you. Yeah, so. but it's it's nice it's nice to reconnect with it though yeah. to to take my mind through it. Okay, that's great advice. But still, what would you that, say? I want to know what you say since you have you got the vibe. I don't know shit about the technical. I, I'm a fan of com- comedy. Um, I'm, I'm just my advice art, would be what artist. you said. Oh, I mean, for a young artist. Yeah. I mean, I would say. Well, I guess it'd be specific to video. Mm-hmm. I would say the three th- things in video. Get a DVD player. No, go ahead. Get it in focus. Mm-hmm. Have great audio. Yes. I mean, really, number one thing to not fuck up video is audio, funny enough. When mm-hmm. indie videographers have bad audio, you can feel it right away. It's like, mm. um, they use too much shallow depth of field where they may try to make the background blurry to make it look cinematic. Mm-hmm. But really, most movies have a pretty deep focus. That's just like a false part of like fake low end trying to make it look high end. It's just make it really shallow behind. Yeah, but if it's not perfectly in focus, then it looks really bad. Mm. If you have shitty... So it's just like... Keep the focus good. Keep the audio good. Right. Make it entertaining. That would, those would be like technical things that I would say. Like yeah. right away, if somebody says they want to work with me and they show me something yeah. and it's out of focus, I, I'll, I'll stop it right there. I'll be okay. like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you yeah. say that, I could change my answer to like actual things that you can do in comedy, not just like, you know. Because your answer was great. That, that yeah. was like the inspiration behind right. it of like what material should I do. Right. But from a technical but point. From, I would say don't be a dick. Be, it's like any business. Be like professional, uh, and then like um, I thought of another one as you're saying it. Now I forgot, but just be be professional. Um, be patient, and that's something that I wish I would listen to more. You I mean within the to. set or within the span of the career? In the span of the career. Let's talk about the set. In, in your first few sets. In first few sets? Let's say if somebody didn't take any comedy class, they're just a uh-huh. fan of comedy, they think they have some ideas in their mind, they don't know shit about the technique. What are just some basic, like, hey. I know yeah. that, that once you learn oh. the rules, you can break the rules. Sure, right. you can have a shot be out of focus. Sure, yeah. if you wanted to, right? But, like, at a base level. Yeah, I think, like, it's really similar with video is, like, have good audio, meaning, <laughs> like, know how to hold a mic. Mm. Uh, you know, oh yeah! A lot of people will hold it like way out here, and some people. I I I'd say it's better like to eat the mic than to be way down here, um, and and a lot of people will move it around and like right. some of the they'll, words. They'll be like, yeah, I have yeah. a joke. Yeah. I kind of I always kind of feel like have one foot on the stage and one foot off the stage figuratively, meaning like you're on stage, but then also you're not doing a monologue. I know a lot of people call comedy a monologue, but you're doing a dialogue because you're listening back to the audience. So mm. your other foot is in the audience. One foot on the stage, one foot on the audience. In the meaning, audience. meaning like if there's like some weird interruption happening in the background, maybe acknowledge yeah. it, roll with it. Right, like know what the audience is going through even before you get on stage because that can help you with you know, delivering what you're going to deliver. Maybe um, if the room is like super hot, talk yeah, about that. Yeah, like acknowledge that. That's called like the I call that the truth of the room. You know, Ooh, that will truth always, of the room. Yeah, that's gonna help you connect with with the audience. The that's the first thing that you want to do is connect with the audience and sh- and show them who you are. So they're so, like, okay, cool. This guy gets that the situation I'm in. It's a the room is too hot, right. or whatever, or the last comedian. What like something that makes me feel like you acknowledge 
you can do that. I mean, it's not like it's imperative, not a must, but, but I'm just saying like, just know, even subconsciously, knowing like what the audience is going through, you know, if, if you know that the audience is full of, um, you know, expecting mothers and you go up there, you're doing <laughs> like abortion jokes. Yeah. Right? Like <laughs> if those are hard to do anyway, <laughs> but like, Hey, know your audience, know, know what the room is going through. Like, yeah, that would say like connect with your audience is, is really the positive way of saying it, is like find a way to connect with the audience. Mm. Yeah. I like that. <clears throat> and as far as preparing a joke, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm even thinking about it. Like if I ever were to on a day or go to do like, open micer, right? Like I'm just thinking about somebody who really has no idea. Mm-hmm. So okay, so they're present, they're tapping into their true north, mm-hmm. and they have one foot figuratively on stage, one with the crowd, meaning that they're, they're aware of it. They can choose mm-hmm. to acknowledge it or not. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can go right to their bit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Is there like an industry known secret on best way to tag something? Man. Like, like I'm, I'm trying to think of like what would be the equivalent of it like on the video side, like, a, like for me, like, if somebody was doing like an indie music video or commercial and they could only hire two people on the entire crew, yeah. it would be like the audio guy and the gaffer. Right. Right. I don't think it's it as like I don't think it's as defined in in live performance as it is for for um cameras and stuff because cameras have laws to them. Right. Right. Camera cameras have like they're dialed in, they have numbers on them, they have, you know, lighting there's there's certain kelvin that works with right yeah with, yeah yeah for a daylight and something that works with the um tindor tungsten, right, tungsten, right, right. Yeah. there's things that are defined i think in in stand-up and in, in any live performance it's like really that's where the magic is is like how you um how you interpret it how you you can choose that's where your your paintbrush is you know so then maybe my i can dig deeper into questions with you then maybe uh-huh. let's talk about let's say in their first year of comedy uh-huh oh well what i would say oh this is what i, what I was going to say back that, back a few minutes ago was study like you have so much so many resources that i didn't have when i was starting out you have podcasts you have which is like basically like old green room conversations. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like you had to actually be in a room with like <clears throat> Bert Kreischer and, and Tom Segura to get their their wisdom. Now you can listen to their podcast. Right. Um, watch specials. Like before you could, I, you know, maybe there was like five VHS at Blockbuster you could rent that were like, you know, comedians that you would want to watch. And then, but, or you had to be in a major comedy market. Now you have so much stuff on video on YouTube at your disposal. Go watch live comedy. It's a little different than 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 on state uh, than on video, but like just watch as much as you can. Um, go analyze as much as you can. As in break down why you think it worked. Like why, why did think, that yeah. opener work? Why did that work? Why didn't it work? And then go do it. Like you have this comedy is something that you have to do. Get up no matter where you you like. No matter where you live, there's so much more comedy now than ever. It's everywhere. Yeah. If you if you don't have comedy in your town, create it. That's what I did. That's how I started. I I put on college dorm shows when I went to school. I would I um, organized um, uh, open mics at uh, like anyone in the in the dorm could do whatever town was like a talent show. So if you play piano, if you did poetry, if you dance, 
Then I would host the show and do stand up beginning, in between, and at the end I'd do a longer set. So like That's really there, smart. That's um, a great way from a from a building your brand perspective and getting to practice perspective. Yeah. So there's I mean, like create the show. You gotta you know, make it. Get the reps in. It's, yeah. It sounds like do it often. Like I think if somebody's going into comedy thinking I'm either going to kill it or bomb on the first one. It's like, I mean, maybe, but mm-hmm. like if you're not willing to do it for a couple years even, then, right. then you're not even willing to try it really because it might take some time to really develop it. To- yeah. Stand-up is something that you could be horrible at two years in. And then I've seen people like, I, I was this one guy that I know, I watched him two years in. I'm like, oh man, he's not going to do it. And then I saw him two years later. He was awesome. Really? And yeah, he's open for me many times. What so, do you think made the difference in him? You don't have to say his name, but like, why do you yeah. think he got better after two years? He practiced. He went up like every single night mm. and he learned. And How like, did he keep getting up if he wasn't that good? People just kept giving him chances. Like he was just good enough to go up one more time. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's forgiving. And that also goes with like, be a good person. There's like people that are, I don't even want to criticize anyone's comedy, but there are people that I, I think are terrible uh, that, you know, what's my opinion who cares terrible talent wise yeah or like that are just going up and doing stuff that's like you're like oh man god what are you doing that you know um they might create their own way to get up they have friends that that they maybe um maybe they're just really nice people yeah maybe they're really nice people and they're just they're not doing something on stage that people are laughing at yet but you're gonna get that's the thing is like i could think you're terrible who cares Keep doing it. As long as you don't think you're terrible, then then do it. You yeah. know, and you're gonna find your audience, or you're just you know maybe you won't find your audience. You just are happy going up and and doing whatever you do. You know, um, and finding the meaning in that, mm-hmm. right? Because like we can put meaning in something. Like for example, somebody could go up for a couple years and suck and think it was a waste of time, mm-hmm. but not really if they made friends. Not right. really if they show that they can do something scary and fail and still feel alive. Exactly. Right? I mean, that's what everyone says is like, oh, stand-up comedy is like the most scary thing ever because everyone's afraid of public speaking, I guess. But um, f- kudos to you, whoever you are as a comedian, getting up on stage and taking that risk and like putting yourself out there in front of people and, and you know, you're 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 vulnerable by doing it so you know for anyone who gets up on stage that i I, you got my respect in that in that respect you know Mm, it is vulnerable especially when um you're directly uh, measuring the response of the audience via laughter right right um i feel i'm wondering like if that would be i feel like yeah it would be scarier than even just doing like a regular speech or a talk because people aren't required to laugh on a yeah, regular speech of talk. It. Right? Like, it's you know, like I'm sitting down and you're gonna be funny. That's what it says on the sign. Right. right. Yeah, because if you're just giving a talk, like at a business thing or whatever, and you happen to crack a joke, yeah. great. But you're not being judged by whether or not they're falling off their chairs. But in comedy, that is the whole point. Yeah. That's why you know people come to you and say they say, Oh, I'm I'm really funny. People tell me I should do stand-up because you're at a party and they're not expecting you to be funny. You say something that's like kind of funny and then it becomes funny. But then you go to the laugh factory and <laughs> the contract is you're going to make me laugh and you're a machine. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is a store and I'm bought comedy tonight. 
you know? <laughs> yeah, that's so beautiful. I, I feel very privileged here in LA that there's so many great clubs. You know, there's yeah. Laugh Factory, the, the Comedy Store, The Improv, Ha Ha, Supernova, Jamming a Van, what else? There's a new LA, LA comedy, what is it called? Uh, California <clears throat> Comedy Club. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, it's just opened at the Lyric Hyperion. I haven't been over there. There's um, Flappers in Burbank. Oh, there's, yeah. Flappers, um, yeah, that's right down the street. Yeah. There's one called Third Wheel. There's, um, there's, I mean, there's so many now. I I don't even, I can't even keep track of them. I love it. And, yeah. I, and I think it's so cool that there's comedians that you would otherwise, like if I lived in Kentucky, where I used to live actually, um, you know, I'd have to see them in a theater show, mm-hmm. paying big tickets to see them maybe once a year. But in LA, I can go watch like Sebastian Maniscalco or whoever, you know what I mean? On like a Tuesday for 20 bucks. Yeah. It's uh, LA really is, I mean, New York as well, but. <clears throat> oh yeah, they have the cellar. Yeah. What else is over there? Uh, That's like the big the one, right? New York Comedy Club, the um, There's Gotham. Gotham. Yeah, yeah, Caroline's. There's so many. There's like, and the good thing about New York is that they're all in the same area, you know, like within, you know, Manhattan's only, what, 11 miles long and you got the subway. Right. So. You could do multiple yeah. clubs a night, not even get in right. the car. You could just, or yeah. maybe just taxi it over a minute or two. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what people do. They Some people, like somebody, <clears throat> I think, set a record and did hmm. like 10 or 11 or something like that in that one must night. Be, I bet the momentum and the practice of that must be great. Yeah. Doing that many. You can work out bits way quicker in New York <laughs> than in L.A., but yeah. Oh, yeah, right, right, because in L.A., you'd have to really go through traffic for you to do like a set at the improv and then try to hit the Laugh Factory. Mm-hmm. They better be like wide apart you better be opening at eight and closing at 11 or something they're not actually those are actually pretty close laugh factory <clears throat> laugh factory comedy store and mm-hmm. improv are like in the same square they're the mile. closest yeah those are the closest to each other and then and then i guess then haha or flappers would be over here and yeah flappers is burbank and then haha is in uh north hollywood so that's kind of like four or five miles apart something like that have you yeah. found it difficult dealing with the quote gatekeepers in comedy yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier um, with like industry of like you know I'm not I'm not worrying about managers and agents for myself right now because I've just been in situations where uh, it wasn't the right fit and so I'm just like not concerning myself with it right now. And usually they're but, focused on the big fish. Yeah, but I feel like gatekeepers that you know that were gatekeepers they're becoming less and and less powerful because you can do things yourself. You can release your special on YouTube and, you know, uh, so, yeah, yeah uh, I think that's in any, in anything in entertainment yeah. and creativity. It is all shifting, right? Because before it was like you either had one of the couple HBO specials or a Comedy Central special and that was it and the Netflix came around. Mm-hmm. But even then, now the YouTube comedy is taken really seriously. Like, Like, I don't think people... I, mean, I don't know how snobby it is with actual comedians, but mm-hmm. as a fan, it doesn't matter to me if it's on YouTube or Netflix. If it's funny, right. it's funny. Most of the shit on Netflix ends up on YouTube anyway. <laughs> right? <clears throat> right? Like yeah. most comedians release like bit by bit from Netflix or eventually they'll put somebody to leak the whole thing. Like I watch more things on YouTube than on Netflix, right? Okay. Um, so as long as it's filmed decent, you know, yeah. like, like I remember there was that whole series, uh, what did Ari Shafir do, the This Is Not Happening? Oh, yeah. Series, right? Mm-hmm. Where everybody was just performing over at the Cheetahs at the yeah. strip club or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like, that was great. That was a YouTube series. I think it might have existed on a Comedy Central. I but, think it was Comedy Central, yeah. But I saw it on YouTube. Oh, you did? 
a bunch of them are on YouTube, like oh, really? on their official YouTube channel, like hundreds of them, okay. hundreds of stories, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I would be on road trips and I would just hit a playlist and yeah. just go and just hear a different comedian give me 10 minutes at a time. And then I'd be like, well, they sound interesting. Then I would like look into them, see if they have an album. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't consider a YouTube comedian less than a Netflix comedian. Mm. Okay. Because I feel like Netflix usually, big companies are usually behind anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. right. Like usually by the time somebody makes it to Netflix. They're a bigger machine so they can't move as fast. Well, well, or they, they've already been killing it, right? Like as in right. for somebody to make it to Netflix, it's not like somebody sucks and then they go on Netflix and then they become great. Right, right. By the right. time they go on Netflix, they've already been doing shows. You know what I mean? So, so I feel right. like the big streamers are usually behind in what's actually cool. Okay. Right. So, so YouTube is the new hipster of streaming. Uh, comedy. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. Like, and imagine how <laughs> how dope it would be, right? Like, for fans that like know you through social media, to then eventually you get a Netflix deal. Right. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah, he finally got the mainstream validation. But it's like, but you were already cool then. Like, if the right. shit's funny, it's funny. It's like when I was listening to hip hop on AM radio, and then it became yes, yes, yes. It didn't right. make it less special because it actually made it more special. Mm-hmm. As long as a song sounded good, right. Right then, I think as a as an audience, you develop kind of an ownership to it. You're exactly. like, I discovered them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew about them before he was on Amazon. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, cool, man. So listen, we've we've been rocking for like 90 minutes already. You should me. really. Yeah, pearls of wisdom. Wow, we did it. Well, I had a great time. Yeah, hopefully, did you? I hopefully I did what I was supposed to do and please the uh, the Illuminati here. Is this an Illuminati show? I just noticed. Absolutely, and it's now Illuminati. by you touching it, you accept the contract, and now you're officially a part of the Illuminati. Oh my god! And uh, <laughs> I have a bit about the Illuminati. Oh, do you? Yeah, I say it never works though, but maybe it'll work here. I say the Illuminati. Have you guys heard of it? And they go, yeah. And I go. Worst kept secret society ever. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't even pass the first test of secret society. <laughs> Look, I'll shine it right in you. Shining it. Shine, wait. I saw, oh, there it is. Shining it in your eyes. Illuminati is a great name, though. I'm surprised a lighting company hasn't sh- taken that name. Oh, yeah. Maybe they have. You just don't know. Right? <laughs> am, I sh- am I flaring the lens? You are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So tell people it's old where Illuminati <laughs> trick. <laughs> tell people where they can find you. Okay, my website is probably the best jump off. EricSchwartzLive.com. That's E-R-I-C-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z Live.com. And then Instagram, Eric Schwartz with three E's. E-E-E-R-I-C-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. It's pronounced Eric Schwartz. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, thank you so much for coming. And, thank you for uh, having me. Do you have a name for your special? I know you haven't taped it yet. But I do, but I, I can't tell you yet. You can't tell yet? Okay, yes. so if you guys, if you're in the L.A. area, um, August oh, 21st. I will say, all I can say, I'll give you a hint, and it'll make sense when it comes out, but this special's my baby. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope it comes to full term. All right. And we get to see it. Okay. <laughs> my guy. Cool, man. Nice to thank meet you so officially, much. man. This was great. Okay. Whoa. Look, they can never keep me down, I'm going And if I ever fail, just know I'll go again I never quit, cause I know that every loss May lead to another win, I'm going up I bet when I land, they gon' tell me it's luck again See that I'm winning, it's harder to watch I'm setting the stage, you should give me my props You ain't got a soul, you lacking the spirit You talk out your neck, I'ma show you I'm with it I've been really happy for you to sit and watch me win again And win again and win again I know it's probably getting on me and win again.